So this, well, recently, I don't actually think it was this week, but recently we received a, a track in the mail um, here at the office. And it, it sparked some memories for me as I was reading it. Uh, the year after, after I finished high school, I had the chance to go to England and do a learning and, and evangelism kind of experience. And uh, this was definitely a formative time for me, uh, an experience that I will not forget. But I got to do many different things while we were there, including like door-to-door ministry, which was not my favorite. Um, but also we did tracting at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. We would walk the streets of London and give out tracts. And if you're not familiar with what a tract is, it's, this, it's those brief little pamphlets that you get. They're usually religious, but they sometimes political, which is always a fun surprise. And they typically contain like, this, like an image that'll catch your eye, and then a short kind of punchy mes- message about conversion. And typically they're handed out or left behind, say at a restaurant or a bus stop or that kind of thing for people to find. And the chance, chances are that in your travels, in your experiences, you have received one of these tracks, or maybe you've even given them out like myself. Now, I have to be, I have to reiterate and be honest, I hated giving out tracks. It was an entirely uncomfortable experience for me to walk down the street and hand them to strangers. And it w- this was in stark contrast to some of the others in our group. There's this man from Finland, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name, which makes me feel awful, but he was with our group, and he actually had a customized tracting vest, all right? Don't remember his name, but I remember the vest. It was bright blue, had a cross embroidered here, and then customized pockets uh, for different tract sizes. And he would, he would have them at the ready and give them out hundreds in an hour. He was, uh, he was phenomenal and terrifying, just in his intensity. And unlike him, I spent most of my time, instead of giving out tracks, I would pretend to be busy reading them on the streets so that I wouldn't have to give them out. And then as we were, our time was up and I would have to head back in, I would slow, slip a few into the garbage as I was walking back because I didn't want the lady in charge to scold me for not caring enough. <laughs> uh, confessions, right? After this experience of what of actually handing out tracks and being around, exposed to them, I returned to my home in North Bay and I got a job at the Canadian Bible Society. And this is a, an organization that distributes Bibles and religious material. Uh, books, and, of course, tracks. So part of my job was actually keeping our small little warehouse organized with all the boxes and boxes of tracts that we would send out across northern Ontario. And during my time working there, I got a chance to read many of these tracts. And some of them were beautiful and meaningful. Others... Maybe not so much. And while I was there, I got to hear amazing stories of people um, coming to know Jesus through a tract, which I find phenomenal because my first 
instinct is to throw them out. But the reality is, is God does work through these things, like he works through many things. But I think if anything, just because something leads to transformation, we can't automatically think it's a good idea. Many of us in our past can point to experiences that have been formative or led us to a different way of living that we probably wouldn't repeat. And I can't help but wonder if tracks would be one of those things, right? That said, if you're someone who does enjoy giving out tracks, I don't want to belittle that experience for you. But please don't leave tracks in lieu of a tip at a restaurant. This doesn't help anyone and leads to our bad reputation as Christians in the restaurant industry, right? So I said earlier that some tracks left me wanting, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because most tracks that, in my experience, start with sin and judgment. I remember one in particular, I don't, the opening line was, if you have had sex outside of marriage, you are a fornicator. Which then inspired me to look up the word fornicator, because even growing up in a church, that was a word I was unfamiliar with, right? Or the one we received this week in the mail, the opening lines were, this is, there is a day coming when everyone will be judged. All of us will be, given, will be guilty on the day of judgment because all of us have broken God's law. And I don't want to play down uh, the breaking of God's law or sin. It's a significant reality. But we miss something when it's our starting place. When it's like skipping the first two chapters of Genesis. You jump in right at chapter three, right at the fall, and we act and behave and think and theologize like this is the beginning of our story. And we miss out of the foundational piece of love, relationship, and connection that was in the beginning of creation, in the beginning of our story. If our story starts with sin, then we focus on, our story comes about dealing with sin. And we see Jesus primarily as existing to deal with our sin. And this is just a really kind of shallow and mis- Mark, missed the point. This is why I've, I've come to love the opening hymn of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. It starts at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And likewise, in, this, in the literary tradition of, of John, the letters that are written in, in these styles, the first, second, and third John, they come later. And first John starts similarly, with the beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, have touched, this will we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Rewrite this to make our joy complete. The Gospel of John and the beginning of 1 John have echoes of the beginning of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And these texts remind us that our beginning, that our story doesn't begin with sin. It begins with love, connection, fellowship, and relationship with the eternal creator of the universe. This is important because it allows us to actually understand what sin is. It's not just the breaking of an arbitrary law. It's our broken relationship with the creator and with each other. In Matthew 22, we read the... um, a story of Jesus' interaction with some experts of the law, the Pharisees and Sadducees. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. Unlike many things Jesus said, the experts of the law actually agreed with Jesus at this point. They said, yes. Because when you look at the law that was given in the Old Testament, they fall often into one of these categories. Take the Ten Commandments, for example. The first half are actually about loving God. How to love God. The second half are all about how we love each other. And it sets a pretty low bar when you think about it that way. But when God gave humanity its most basic set of instructions, he put honoring God and honoring other human beings on the same list. The same top ten list. And in so doing, God made it clear that failing to honor a human-made image Human made in God's image is actually a failure to honor God. Now, if we root our understanding of the law of the law as the beginning, if we root our understanding of this law in the beginning, we start to understand that when we break these commandments, it's not about these commandments in and of themselves. It's breaking relationship. It's falling out of connection and fellowship with God and connection and fellowship with each other. It's not some arbitrary law. You know, even the word sin, it actually, from the original Hebrew word, it means to miss the mark. But when you think about that phrase, missing the mark, You have to ask, what mark are we missing? Is it the law itself that we're missing? You know, if we start at the problem of sin, if we start our story at the problem of sin, we might think so. 
We might get caught up in that. But if we start in the beginning, we realize that missing the mark is about missing and falling out of our relationship with the creator of the universe. If you keep reading 1 John chapter 1, we'll start at verse 5, continuing. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There have been many throughout history that have tried to do away with sin, claiming that it doesn't exist. And this is actually a main argument within 1 John, addressing this misconception. Because you see, and it, it's, it makes sense how people might get there, because when you look at sin as simply breaking one of the laws or the commandments, and you remove it from its original fellowship in a context of relationship, it's easy to get to a place of, room, of sin not being a real thing, or not really mattering that much. Because when we boil Jesus down, to, and, and the cross specifically, down to simply taking away our sin, we miss so much of what we are called to. The author of 1 John calls Jesus the anointing sacrifice for our sins. And when we view sin simply as the breaking of the law instead of a broken relationship, we miss the true meaning of atonement. See, atonement actually means at one That's its etymology. It's not just a fun way to say it. That's what the word comes from. In Middle English, before we have modern English, they would have said at one, and then left it at that awkward hangingness. The sacrifice of Jesus was made to make a way for us to be at one with the creator of the universe and at one with each other. And there's many different atonement theories which have been circulating in Christianity for the last 800 years specifically that suggest that God demanded Jesus to be a blood sacrifice to atone for our sin-drenched humanity. But these theories are based in retributive justice rather than restorative justice. Based in retribution rather than the restoration and reconciliation that Jesus taught. But these theories make sense when you begin with sin and see sin only as a matter of breaking law. These theories, I think, miss 
the foundational beginning, the creation, the relationship, the connection, and the fellowship we had with God and with each other that we are called back to. If sin is simply missing the mark on the law and Jesus has already dealt with all the sin, past, present, and future, then why can't we just do whatever we want? But if sin is missing the mark of relationship, missing the mark of loving God and loving others, well, then if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then our lives begin to look differently with that way of thinking. All of a sudden, how we treat the creator of the universe matters because we approach God at a, with the opportunity of being at one with God. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was to bring us into at one with the creator and at one with each other. It was to heal our relationship, to show us a better way of living, a way of loving God and loving others, a way of following Jesus in his sinlessness, in his way of perfectly loving God and loving others. So I hope and pray that we may be sure that as God's children, we live differently, that we don't keep on sinning. And may we know that we are protected by Jesus in this and that nothing can come between God, between us and God's love for us. And I hope we can be certain that we come from God and that we are invited back into relationship, into connection, into fellowship with our Creator. I hope that we may know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and has shown us the true living God. And that because of Jesus, our relationship with God is healed now and forever. And in this healing, we have the opportunity to live lives differently, to live a life that is fully loving God and fully loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's just pray. Lord God, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming and showing us a different way of living. Thank you for calling us back into at one minute. Help us to understand what that means and how to live that out in our daily lives. Thank you for everything you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.